Barb Ratter, when uh, I told her that we had accepted her membership, made me promise not to introduce her as a new member at Praise Assembly. Let me just say I'm thankful for our deacon board. I'm thank you for Bobby Beard for introducing our new members today. I fulfill my promises. I do not stray, okay? So we appreciate you, Barb, and all of our new members. If you would go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning. We are coming up on the end of our King series. Let's get a big aww. I know, I feel the same way. Um, as part of this series, it's been a little bit thicker. We've gotten into the deep woods of the history of the Old Testament. Um, and as a part of that, I know that some of us, man, it's like, and we don't even put the scriptures up on the screen. So, so we're coming to the end. Next week is actually our last week. Uh, for this series. If you're a guest with us, normally we'll have scriptures up on the screen, make it a little bit easier for you. Um, but for this series in particular, I just wanted everybody to be able to follow along and read the stories around the stories that we're reading and that kind of thing. Um, so as a part of that, I promise pretty soon we'll get everything back to normal for you. Um, but for now, if you would grab your Bibles and open them up once you have them to Second Chronicles chapter 32. This title for today's story and I don't normally do the title thing, but for this, this is probably one of my favorite parts. And so the title for today's story is War of the Words. Okay, thank you. All right. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Uh, we're, background real quick. Uh, we're on the 14th king of Judah. Hezekiah becomes king when, uh, in 715 B.C. As part of that, one of the very first things he did, his father... Uh, had barred the doors literally of the temple. Okay, so the very first thing it says he does back in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 3, it says in the first year of his reign, in the first month, first thing he does, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And so he begins this process, and we don't have time to read it all. Uh, there's like four chapters dedicated in 2 Chronicles to Hezekiah, which is more than any other king besides David and Solomon. So so obviously the writer was, it was important to him that he communicates about Hezekiah, incredible king. Um, but those first three chapters are about this reformation and this revival in the land of Judah. At the same time, things are really going south in the north. In the northern kingdom, the tribes that split off, they've been, during his reign, carried off by the king of Assyria, and the nation is no more. So during that, three chapters, really quick brief overview so we can get to 32. Uh, he puts out the call. He sends out letters to whoever's left over in the north. And he says, come south. Come join us in Judah. Come back to worship the true God in Jerusalem. And as part of that, during this time, we know from archaeological finds that Jerusalem uh, expanded in size five times the size during this one little time period in the history of Jerusalem and Judah. It grows exponentially because people start flooding in. Some reject, but some come. So that all happens during the first 14 years of his reign. Chapter 32 happens in the 15th year of his reign in 701 B.C. Okay, so that's where we're going to start reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 1. And the story that we're about to read is one of the most important stories in the Bible. Here's how I know this. Because the story we're about to read is attested to, it's talked about, three different times in three different places. Which the only other place that happens is in the Gospels talking about Jesus' life. Okay, so this is a big deal. 
And we're actually going to skip back and forth between a couple of those uh, because some of them will hit one thing that's really important and another one will hit another thing that's really important. Um, but for now, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 1. Here's how it starts. After these things, and this is talking about this incredible revival, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. So right off the bat it says, so after his faithfulness, he's attacked. Well, that seems unfair, doesn't it? But that's how it begins. Now, we do know, again, from outside sources, that when Sennacherib became the king of Assyria, it wasn't like a clean, his dad dies and so he becomes king. It was, there was some turmoil in Assyria. And we know this because there was, even his name, it means like usurper of his brothers. So there's something big happening. And when that happens, all of the nations around Assyria, Assyria is the grand power of the day. All of the nations that are the vassal states controlled by Assyria, but kind of have their own control of themselves. All of these vassal states begin to rebel. Okay. So Sennacherib goes down and he starts putting these rebellions down one at a time. Judah apparently rebelled as well under Hezekiah. And because it was a vassal state of Assyria. And so Sennacherib now is coming to put down the rebellion in Judah. Here's what it says. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, which is an awesome name, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, so he knows what the goal is. The ultimate goal is that he would come and take the capital city, which is what he had done in the northern tribes. Now he's coming south and he's planning on taking Jerusalem. He planned with his officers and with his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city. And they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed throughout the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it, and, and outside it he built another wall, and he strengthened the millow in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. So what's he doing? He's getting ready for the, uh, uh, the, the army to surround the city and lay siege to it. So he says, well, we don't want them to have good fresh water. So they divert the water. And it actually, there's a tunnel called the Tunnel of Hezekiah that you can still, if you go to Israel, you can walk through. And it has a plaque on it that was written in the day that apparently it says, this is the Tunnel of Hezekiah. Okay, so, so it goes down into the Pool of Siloam, which shows up during the time of Jesus' life. Uh, you hear some of these things. But what's cool is he gets all of this prepared knowing that the king of Assyria is coming. And we have archaeological finds which back it up. In fact, one of the most amazing things about the stories we've been reading of these kings is that the vast majority of them, we have found archaeological findings which support these stories. This story, not only is it attested to three times in the Bible, but we have from the Sennacherib side of it, the Assyrian side of it, we have the story of what happened there. And we have it from the Egyptians' perspective, because they're right in between, uh, the, the Judah is right in between the Assyrians and the Egyptians. So you have like this really interesting thing where everything is supported by these archaeological finds. We'll talk more about that, but really cool. So he diverts the water, gets it prepared, prepares for the siege. Okay, in verse 6. 
And he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed because of the, before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the word of Hezekiah, king of Judah. If you have the NASB, that last sentence says, it says that they relied upon the words of King Hezekiah, or Hezekiah, king of Judah. If you have the King James Version, it says they rested upon the words of, of Hezekiah, king of Judah, which is probably my favorite version as you're looking at the word picture there. It's the most literal translation. The idea is this. He speaks. It's like this is the final speech before the grand battle. He's riding back and forth on a white horse. I made that part up, but it, if that were the case, he's riding back and forth on, on, the, on that big horse, and he's, he's encouraging the people is what it says with his words, and the people rested upon his words. So the image is that the words somehow become like a memory foam mattress topper that they rest on. The picture is that they're laying in bed late at night thinking about the Assyrians coming, and then they remember the words that Hezekiah had spoken. And as they were staring at the ceiling, as they remember the words that Hezekiah spoke, they drift off to sleep. They rested upon the word of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Okay, let's skip over to 2 Kings now, which is like three books to the left. And the reason why we're going to skip over to 2 Kings is because they, the story continues in 2 Chronicles, but 2 Kings, man, it's just plain juicier. And I'm looking for juicier. Okay, 2 Kings will be in chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 17. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and they came to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, they came and they stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. Okay, so, so the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, is with his army uh, 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 sieging Lachish, which is in Judah. And he sends some of his people. He sends the Tartan, which is the head of the army. The Rabsaris, which is like the second in command. And the Rabshaka, which is an awesome name. Uh, is like the first in command after the king. And he sends these guys off to Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, they call for the king. Come on out, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, I mean, these aren't Sennacherib. These are his advisors and his commanders and stuff. And so he sends his people out. And he sends out Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the recorder. At which point, I probably, if I were one of those three guys, would wonder, how come they get cooler titles than we do? Rabshaka. And I'm the recorder. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I'm the secretary. Anyways, okay. 
So the, 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 there's this meeting of the advisors right at the wall, verse 19, and the Reb Shaka said to them, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Okay, so he says to him, really interesting. He says to him, what, you think words are enough? In whom are you trusting? Now what words could he be referring to here? But the speech that the king had made, so did they have spies there in the center of the city watching or what? Somehow they, they undercut the words of Hezekiah and he says, is our words enough? And then he continues on. He says, do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war in whom you now trust that you've rebelled against me? Behold, are you entrusting now in Egypt that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it? Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able to, on your part, set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain from among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Okay. What in the world? What's really, again, cool about this is that we have this happening from the Assyrian side of it. If you're ever in Chicago, you can go to the Chicago Oriental Museum. And there is there this massive stone thing called Sennacherib's Prism. It's, 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 it's got straight sides around it, and all the way around the outside of it is, are these engravings of the Assyrians' take on what happens here. And so we know what's... It's really cool. These guys know what to do with their words. Like Sennacherib, when he's talking about himself on this prism, he refers to himself as the terror-inspiring splendor of my lordship. Which I think I need a title change at Praise Assembly. But he knows, they know how to use words. And so he's, he's, he's here, he is, he goes, wait a second. Oh, you're going to trust in God. You mean the God whose, whose high places you removed? And you're forcing people to worship only in Jerusalem. So like they have spies out or something and know that he just did this huge overhaul of the religious system and got rid of all these high places all around the country and tell people you can only come to Jerusalem to worship the one true God. And he says, well, pff, you just removed all his high places. How are you going to trust in him? And guess what? He's the one who told me to come. We know on the Sennacherib's prism, which... Most likely it was his letter to his own god, Asher. Well, that's actually what it says on there. This is my letter to you, Asher, my god. That it was Asher, his god, who had told him to come. So here he is, and he brings like these, or these, these advisors come before them and use these, and like they, they kind of mix in a little truth, and then throw in a few lies, and then they're undercutting the confidence in the words of Hezekiah, 
why would you trust in God? So then, verse 26, it says, Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah said to Rebshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rebshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall, who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine? So the, the advisors are like, hey, Stop talking in Hebrew, which this is the only time in the Old Testament where you have this very clear indication that they were speaking in their own language, Hebrew, the language of Judah. It's, it's very clear here. But, but it, they said, don't stop talking in Hebrew because all the people around us are hearing your words. Speak to us in the international language of Aramaic because they don't know it. And we can't have the common people hearing what you're saying to us. <laughs> and Reb is like, you guys are dumb. What do you think I'm doing right now? I am not just speaking to you. I'm not just speaking to your king. I'm speaking to everybody here who is going to be affected by your decisions. I want them to hear my words. They continue, verse 28. Then the Rabshaka stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. He said, don't trust Hezekiah. He's trying to get you to trust your God. Don't listen to him. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of you of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern. I'll let you go home until I come and take you away to a land like your own land. A land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey that you may live and not die. He says, You'll go home, you'll get to eat your own food, drink your own water, and then once, once I come back, don't worry, I'm going to take you away, but I'm, I'm not going to take you to a bad place. I'm going to take you to a good place. It's just like this. they got grain, they've got wine, it's a good place. So just come on out of the city. He says, and do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpath? Where are the gods of Sepharim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand, which is the capital of the northern tribes? Did it deliver them? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? He says, listen, look at my track record. No other god has saved it, any other person. And you think your God is different? But the people were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah. 
with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Reb Shaka. So they bring this to the king. And, and at this point, I wish we could just keep reading, but for the sake of time, I'm going to have to skip. And I encourage you this week, man, just take some time and read this story all the way through. So rich and so good. Um, but we have to skip, and we're going to skip down to chapter 19, verse 14. During that time, they go away, and then they come back and do the same thing over again. This time, they actually bring letters from Sennacherib to Hezekiah, okay? So they bring these letters to Hezekiah, and as part of this, verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So he receives this letter. And then he says, oh, that's not to me. Now there are several things that have surprised me about being pastor of a church like Praise. One of the things that has just plain surprised me is the amount of mail you get. It's ridiculous how many companies there are out there who make money off of churches being churches. And I don't know how they get my name, except for the fact that there's companies that sell to those other companies my name and the fact that I'm the pastor of Praise Assembly. It's amazing. So regularly, I'll have 30 pieces of mail. So I have a letter opener. Never had to have one of those before. Letter opener and open one at a time and look at it and go, yeah, and then those things that are important, I put in a certain pile, those things that aren't important. Every now and then, as I'm going through those things that were put in my specific mailbox, I go, ah, <laughs> that's to somebody else, sucker. And then I go and put it in their mailbox. They have to deal with it. There's something just so enjoyable about that. <laughs> Pastor Nathan has to deal with this one. <laughs> that's what Hezekiah does here gets the letter and he goes oh that's not to me and he brings it to the temple and he lays it before God this is not my responsibility oh God this letter is not to me it's to you and this my friends is why we have to venture out of the gospels and the letters of Paul every now and then and get into the deep woods of the Old Testament because this stuff is just plain good Hezekiah, this is, I believe, the apex of his leadership. I think it's awesome that he unbarred the doors of the temple. But when he brings a letter before God and lays it before him and says, Oh God, you can read. I wonder why we don't do that. The medical bill. I wonder why we don't bring the, the, the diagnosis. Why we don't 
print off the email or the text message list and bring it to our prayer closet and lay it before God and say, Lord, this is not to me, this is to you. Oh, Lord, save me. That's what Hezekiah does here. Brilliant, beautiful. And without saying anything to Isaiah, he just lays this before God, but Isaiah then receives the word of the Lord. Verse 20. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. And this is the word of that the Lord has spoken concerning him. Now, I wish again we could read it all, read it this week, but we have to skip for the sake of time towards the end, verse 27. But I know you're sitting down. And you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears. So I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this is, by the way, the way the Assyrians, when they captured a city and took the king, dragged them back to Assyria. They would literally put a hook in their nose. And every time that king tried to sit down as they were traveling, they'd yank on it and cause pain. And then when they got to Assyria, there are accounts on the prism of Sennacherib of the fact that they would put that hook up against a pillar. And any time the king tried to sit down, it would pull against it and cause pain. And so God says to Sennacherib, I'm going to put a hook in your nose, and I'm going to bring you back the way you came. Verse 29, and this shall be the sign for you. This year eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs of the same. And then in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. He says, listen, he said, here's the sign. In three years, you won't even be able to tell they just came through. Now, if there's a marauding enemy going through the land of Judah, what an incredible promise that is. In three years, you won't even be able to tell that they were here. He says, the people of Judah will once again grow downwards with roots and bear fruit upwards. What a great phrase. This is the sign to you that this will happen. Verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And and so he says, listen, no arrow will make it over the wall. He won't bring a shield up against it. He won't be able to build the siege works around it. I'm going to lead him back the way he came because I'm defending this city declares the Lord, and the literal translation is, thus the word of the Lord. Verse 32. Therefore, thus the Lord concerning, oh, sorry, verse 36, and that night the angel of the Lord went out 
and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech, and Sherezar, his son, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. What's really cool is we have this account from the side of Judah. We have it from the Assyrians. We have it from the Egyptians. And this just plain happened. All of a sudden now, it's no longer just a war of words. There's action. Because up until now, it was just talking, right? Hezekiah talked. And then Rabshakeh talked. Then the advisors talked. Then Rabshakeh talked again. And then Hezekiah talked. And then Isaiah talked. And then Hezekiah talked again. Like, there's a whole lot of talking. It's like watching a movie with your wife. I'm not talking about the wife, I'm talking about the movie. <laughs> Where it's one of those like bad Hallmark movies based on an even worse Oprah book club book of the month thing. Like what? It's just talking. I want action. Blow something up. <laughs> but up until now, it's just talk, 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 talk. Now there's action. Why? Because now the Lord has spoken. And I wonder if God even got up off the throne to issue these words forth. I don't think he did. But the moment that he speaks, 185,000 people are gone. Why? Because the Lord speaks and things happen. Hebrews 11.3, he spoke the universe into existence. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus by the word of his power holds that same universe together. Which means every time you look around you and see another person, the air that you're breathing in, the atoms in that air is a word of God. And Isaiah chapter 55 verse 10 and 11 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. He speaks and things happen. And I hear people say things like, oh man. I hear people say things like, man, you just need to speak it into existence. You need to say it and then it'll happen. Right? Romans chapter 4 verse 17 says, speak those things that are not as if they are. That is a load You know whose purview that is? You know what Romans chapter 4 verse 17 is talking about? God. He speaks the things that aren't and makes them are. 
So if you look at your bank account and it's empty, it's in the negative, and you're like, I don't think it's supposed to be red. And you say, I'm not poor. I'm rich. That won't make a lick of difference. You know what word will? No, I won't buy that on my credit card. No, I don't need a new car on credit. But saying, I'm rich in the name of Jesus will not change the numbers in your credit account. God's the one who speaks. And things that aren't become. Things that didn't exist exist. That's God's. For us, we have Jeremiah 23, verse 28 and 29. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Now, it is the word of the Lord that does it, not ours. Now, let's be clear, though. Our words are powerful. The words that we speak have power in them. You want to know how I know? Because Hezekiah got up in front of them and with his words spoke courage into the people. And they rested upon his words. We can build people up. We can tear people down with our words. But we do not speak things into existence. And what do you think Esar Haddon, or what, what do you think Rabshakeh is doing with his words? We know because it says exactly what he's doing in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 18. Just let me read this to you. And they shouted it out with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. So they were hoping by their words to take the city. And how do they do that? By causing them fear and terror. Here's the problem. The Lord had spoken. No arrow will go over these walls. You will not lay siege works against it. Your shield will not come against it. So what do they have? Their words. Not to speak into existence things, but hoping that if they say the right things, they will cause fear and terror. And they cause all kinds of, they have promises. Oh, if you come out of the city, we'll let you go home and get some food and some drink. And then after you get your food and your drink, we might move you to another place. But it's kind of like Hawaii, man. It's a really great place that you're really going to love. Come on out. And if you stay in there, your God cannot save you. Friday night I was, well, earlier in the day I should start with, I was with Asher. And he said to me, he goes, Daddy, you know what animals I love the most? I said, what? He goes, Spiders and snakes. I'm like, go Y chromosome, baby. I'm like, yes. So later that night, he's in bed. And I'm out bringing the trash can up towards the house. And I'm right where the trash can is supposed to go. There's this big black snake, one of the rat snakes. And you always have the same reaction when you see a snake, even if you know it's not poisonous. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. 
So I ran inside, and I wake Asher up. I said, Asher, 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 you got to come outside. Because we had seen a little snake, like maybe this big earlier. But this was like a six or seven footer. It was awesome, beautiful snake. So we run outside, and I'm like, look at this snake. I said, it's a black snake. And man, those eat the mice. This is a good snake. We love the snake. We don't kill these kind of snakes. This is the one we want around our house. And he's like, oh, that's cool. And then along comes the dog. And they come up next to it, and they get in the snake's face, and you hear the distinctive hiss of a snake. Hiss. You know it when you hear it. Kind of like the distinctive rattle. You know, okay, that's not the kind of snake that we love. But you hear that hiss, and you're like, oh, that's a snake's hiss. You know what I hear when Reb Shaka is talking? Hiss. Your God's the one who sent me. Hiss. Your God can't save you. Did any of the other gods save them? Hiss, hiss. Just come on out. Come on out of that strong tower. I'll let you go home. Hiss. And then we'll move you to a good place. Hiss, hiss. The only power they have was the power that was given to them by the people in Jerusalem. Come on out from behind the strong tower. Hiss. I hear it all through that speech. See, what he cannot do, he lies. And says, leave behind the strong tower. Little promises. Fear. Terror. And come on out. And, and he makes these promises, but you know what? At some point, I want to see it for myself, but this prism of Sennacherib, he said what he was going to do to everybody who came out of the city. You know what he said? Every person who came out, I was going to kill. Come on out. The water's fine. Your God cannot save you. I am convinced that the enemy uses fear and terror in those things where we are most secure in Christ. Where an arrow cannot clear the wall, a lie might. And boy, that's why the recorder and the secretary are like, talk to us in Aramaic. We don't want these people to hear this. Because boy, if that lie gets root... They could take the city, not by arrows, not by, by shields, but by fear and by terror. I was reading a verse this week, powerful verse. A verse that I didn't even know was there, which is probably super encouraging. <laughs> the pastor doesn't know what's in the Bible. But I'm sure I'd read it before a billion times, but this time when I read it, man, it just was like a punch in the gut. It's in Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death 
we're subject to lifelong slavery. So he destroys the power of death. But boy, the fear of death can still cause us to be enslaved all throughout our lives. What the enemy cannot do with an arrow, he will lie to us and say, come out from behind that strong tower. But let me be super clear. Our words can encourage. Our words can destroy. It can knock people down. Unless they don't sign for it. Here's a package. You want it? Free two-day shipping. Please sign for it. If we don't accept it, then it has no place. So when the fear comes, and the enemy comes at us with that thing that is, man, right at the strong tower. Oh, that strong tower is not going to save you. Oh, that strong tower is not going to do it for you. It has no place. And the only thing that does anything is the word of God. So the word of the enemy and the word of others in your lives have no place against the word of God. He speaks and things happen. He says stuff, and those that aren't become. He says, let there be, and there was. His words accomplish that which he sets it out to accomplish. So when he destroys death, the only thing the enemy has left is the fear of death. But believe me, if we sign for it, then we become enslaved to it. So in the name of Jesus Christ, we rebuke it. And we say, I will not sign for that. And let me just say, the hiss of the snake is very distinctive. It sounds like fear. It sounds like terror. Hiss. It sounds like little lies and promises that stand against the word of God. And the ultimate goal is to get us to leave behind the strong tower. But the word of God is different. And this morning, here's how I want to end. I want to end by speaking words that my hope and my prayer would encourage you. Build courage in you. Words that tonight when you're laying down to bed and that same fear that keeps coming back hits you again and you're staring at the ceiling that you will remember this word and immediately just begin to drift off to sleep with rest. Because this is a word that you can rest on. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is a word that you can rest on. That is a word that no matter what the enemy might say against you, no matter what lies he might say in order to get you to come out from behind the strong tower, that you can lay back on and know that it will hold you up. Because that same word spoke the universe into existence and still holds it together by his word. So this morning, when you hear fear, you hear terror when you hear the hiss of the enemy, remind him of that word. Father, this morning I thank you for your word. 